In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach us until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about all that the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, This is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judah and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Come up to Pentecost. I wanted to think about the kingdom of God and the verses that we read this morning in the first um, section of, of Acts. And the reason for reading that is because it comes in the period between the resurrection and Pentecost itself when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Some people would read uh, those verses and immediately go to, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Other people will read it uh, and go to, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. But when you look closely, you'll see that neither of those are the most important things in these verses. Jesus' time is limited before he returns to heaven. And so you have to imagine that what he's going to say during that time is going to be really important. Verse 3 says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. In fact, Acts starts with mention of the kingdom of God, but it ends also with the kingdom of God. Acts 28, 30 to 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. See, the kingdom of God message was nothing new for Jesus. Matthew gives us the genealogy, the birth story, his baptism, and then he goes straight in. Jesus saying, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in chapter Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, he goes on to say, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew, Mark, and Luke show Jesus starting his ministry by this declaration that the kingdom had come. And it's the constant refrain of his teaching. And it seems from what we read in these Gospels that there are two aspects to what Jesus is doing here. The first is a proclamation. 
He says, repent. The kingdom of God is here. This is the good news. Jesus is here to set things right. And in the presence of the kingdom, repentance is required. And forgiveness is given. But along with a proclamation, there is also a demonstration. There is victory over darkness. And that is seen in acts of mercy, of healing, of deliverance, of multiplying food, of power and authority over sin, of sickness and in demons, even over nature, Jesus calming the storm, and even death itself in the raising of Lazarus. So there's proclamation and there is demonstration of the kingdom. We have our general assembly coming up. Um, and I don't see in any of the deliverances or reports that have gone to the, the general assembly that we are calling anybody anywhere to repent. There's lots of stuff about demonstration, but it's to do with, um, you know, engaging with society. It's not so much about saying, actually, you need to change. We need both of those things. You see, there is a king. And the king created everything. He gave the world to people to oversee it and to tend it. And that didn't work because people sinned. And in doing so, that gave authority to Satan. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgression and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. In sinning, Satan has some authority in the world. And he wants to keep that authority. But the king has a recovery plan. That plan involved calling Abram and the promise of blessing. Then the plan was for nations to look to Abraham and his descendants and to marvel at what life lived with God looked like. The blessings that were, that were given and bestowed on people who followed God, who trusted him and who lived for him. Abraham's descendants ended up in captivity and slavery in Egypt. But they were rescued by God and taken to the promised land. Again, they were expected to set an example for the world to follow of what it looked like to be God's chosen people. But they, like us, were disobedient. And they wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to be like all the other nations. So they demanded a king. You can read about that in First Samuel chapter 8. They chose to ignore God and allow themselves to be ruled by a man rather than God. The prophet Samuel warned them that having a king would be a disaster. He says, if you have a king, he's going to take your family. He's going to take your children for his army. He's going to take your lands for his own. He's going to take your know, taxes from your crops and what you grow. He, it's, it's going to be a disaster. You're going to become little more than slaves to this person. And yet they persisted in demanding a king. So in 1 Samuel 9 and 2, it says this, Kish had a son named Saul, 
as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Do you know what came to mind when I read that? Love Island. Now, I've never watched Love Island. I just need to put that out there. But it struck me that, that is that not what the world today is looking for in its leaders? Somebody who is as handsome as can be, has the right figure. That, that, you know, not much has changed. But Samuel is told, this is the man. But God does something really interesting that I hadn't totally noticed before. First Samuel 10 and 9 says, God changed Saul's heart. God changed Saul's heart when he chose him to be king. If you read the rest of the story in Samuel, you'll find that it didn't go well. Even David, whom the Bible calls a man after God's heart, did terrible things, and eventually everything fell apart. The nation of Israel is strategically placed, but it was much smaller than its neighbors, so alliances were made and broken. Politics and power were employed, and occasionally they repented and called to God for his help. God had a plan. He sent his own son. A second Adam comes on behalf of the king and brings with him the kingdom of God. The king, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, rips the authority from Satan, disarming him, and delivers a fatal blow. God's kingdom has come. The chains are broken, but we still have to see that final consummation of the kingdom. We live in that now, but not yet time between the first and second coming of Jesus. A time when Satan has been defeated, but is still powerful, still active on earth, but limited in influence. So in verse 6, where the disciples ask if Jesus was going to restore the kingdom to Israel, we can read that as a lack of understanding. But actually their question is reasonable in the light of what Jesus has just told them. Jesus had been teaching them about the kingdom of God, and in verses 4 and 5, he told them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. So in verse 5, it says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. For devoted Jews, there was a direct link between the outpouring of Holy Spirit and the establishment of God's kingdom rule. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 to 29 shows the link for i will take you out of the nations i will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land i will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean i will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols i will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You'll be my people and I will be your God. So there's the connection that a patriotic Jew 
might make between the restoration of Israel and the coming of the Holy Spirit. But the problem is that although Israel was chosen by God, they were thinking too small. They weren't the only people to be in God's kingdom. They were supposed to be the example of how good it is to be chosen by God so that other people would choose God for themselves. And today, the church of Christ is to be that example to the world. The kingdom of God is not about geography. The whole earth is under the rule of God. It's not about money or politics or how big your army is. The kingdom of God is seen in proclamation and demonstration. Luke seventeen twenty to 21 says, Jesus, grilled by the Pharisees on when the kingdom of God would come, answered. The kingdom of God doesn't come by counting the days on the calendar. Nor when someone says, look here or there it is. And why? Because God's kingdom is already among you. So Luke and the other gospels give us a few examples of what was happening with Jesus and the kingdom that they should have recognized. Luke chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. There's a close link in the gospel between healing and the kingdom of God, because that's the exercise of God's rule over sickness and disease. Luke chapter 10, verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Luke 11 and 20, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. It's about God's heavenly rule, breaking into Satan's strongholds and delivering people from his power. And we get to be part of that. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and say, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are addressing both aspects of the kingdom of God. We are asking that God will come and put down all opposition and bring his plan to completion. But we are also asking that God will rule in our own hearts and lives today. We are asking him to use us as instruments of his authority to bring his rule to bear against the powers of darkness. We, you and me, are to proclaim the good news of Jesus and we are to actively demonstrate the difference Jesus makes in our lives. More than that, we are expected to see God moving in power, and we are to expect God to move in power, breaking into our community, calling us to serve, to do new things, and to see his power transforming lives. There was a man called John Wimber. Some of you might have heard the name. And for some folk, he is a divisive figure. He was quite straight-laced growing up. He taught at Fuller Theological Seminary. But he began to teach that the church should return to thinking more simply about the kingdom of God. And he taught this pattern. Saying Jesus' words and doing Jesus' works. Saying Jesus' words and doing Jesus' works. 
We're going to think a little bit more about that next week. But maybe this week, during the week, you might begin to pray, how do we do that? And what might it mean for us in our day? Amen.